got uh, Windows 8 up and I immediately installed Chrome. Oh, and... you're going to have your Windows 8 license revoked tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, so be it, you know. Uh, Bill Gates is going to come take it away from me. <laughs> Please. Another tech show, yet another tech show.com. Good evening, everyone. I am Ant Pruitt, and tonight I'm joined by Larry Press. How you doing? Evening, guys. Also joined by Mike Rothman. How you doing, Mike? Uh oh, Mike, you are muted at this time. Let's try that again. Hello, yeah, guys. Yeah. Good, I'm good sorry, Mike. I can't say cut right now, man. Good to, good to be with you, and I'll try to watch that mute button. All right, that'll work. But yeah, this is uh, yet another tech show.com, yet another tech show, also known as Yats, episode 21. Uh, we are now legal, folks, so we're going to have us a good time. And, and cheers to all of you guys for making it to 21 episodes with us. We appreciate you guys coming out and hanging out and spreading the word, checking us out on all of our social media and our RSS feeds and iTunes subscriptions. Uh, Matt Lee is out on leave for this episode and probably the next episode. Big ups to Matt, and um, we're going to keep the show rolling with you. So Matt's, um, the, Matt's the best. We miss you, man. We miss you, brother. So we're going to um, get into the show here tonight. Uh, Larry, you posted a, uh, a show in our, uh, some notes in our docs about the Olympics coverage. Uh, what you want to share about that, bro? Well, hey, we can talk uh, as much as you want. Let me tell you what I did. I watched a bunch of the Olympics with two things in mind. One, to see the Olympics, which is totally cool. And secondly, just to see how it was covered, to pay attention to it, it's kind of an internet story. I watched it uh, both on over-the-air TV, as you guys know, I'm a cord cutter, and I also watched it uh, streaming. Uh, I watched streaming from NBC in the United States, uh, went through a proxy server and watched streaming from BBC in England, and a little bit on the iPhone and iPad, but I didn't, not really very much. Larry, what proxy service did you use? Uh, yeah, I don't know, something bear, proxy bears. I can't. Yeah, imagine. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, I know the one. Yeah, it was good. It worked. I mean, it's just totally just click and it's on kind of a thing. And it's like four dollars a month or something like that. All you needed was one month because the Olympics didn't last that long. Um, yeah, and it and that worked quite well. I, uh, I mean, I just full of tons of trivia probably I've done a zillion blog posts on this and I'm going to do one that now tries to pull it all together but just apropos that when I'm when I'm at home I'm getting uh, download speed of 12, 13, 14, 15 megabits per second when I hit the proxy server in England it was more like 2.3 megabits per second so there was quite a bit of a, a kind of a bandwidth drop off there so I don't know what it looked like if you were in England on a fast connection. It was probably a better experience than I had from here in the U.S. 
going through the proxies. Of all of those three uh, avenues you went to, to consume all of this, which one was your favorite? I, I can I know mine offhand was looking off the tablet. Yeah, okay, yeah the, as far as the video quality, and there's a bunch of dimensions, video quality, tablet, and the uh, iPhone apps, and way better than the, than the PC app. I mean, there's just a lot more pixels on that old PC. Um, you know, the best video quality is the over-the-air stuff, but you don't have control over it. You can't do it. You can't watch what you want to watch when you want to watch it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Did, you, did you stream a bunch of it, too? I streamed uh, a lot of it at the office. Um, oh, I probably shouldn't say that too loud, shouldn't I? Um, I streamed a lot while I was at work at the office, and it wasn't the best experience. Um, I remember you blogging about it fairly early when the Olympics started and you go to the website and for me I continue to get just a black screen as if the, the player didn't want to load and I'd refresh it, I tried a different browser and sometimes it would just randomly work but yet at the same time if I picked up the tablet or even picked up my old school Dead Pixels Dread Droid X and pull it up on the Android app it was flawless, yeah. you know, and, and and it was all real time, of course, because you had all the different feeds to look at um, that were live versus replay and, and so forth. But I was like, why can't it be this smooth on a 20-inch monitor or bigger or what have you? And um, I'd come home at night and fire up the Google TV and, and try to watch the NBC coverage of it. And that was great, but then I knew that that was dead and old news by then. You know, yeah. and the mornings that were, you know, on the weekend, I'd get up early in the morning and fire up the Google TV, and I was able to use um, Play On. Um, Play On had a live stream of it, just like the uh, the Android app did, and that worked fairly well. But if I sat over here at this desk and pull it up online just to let the boys try to watch something, it was hit or miss, and I never did understand that. I don't know if it was just a bandwidth thing that they that NBC and whomever wasn't prepared for or what, but it really got on my nerves just trying to watch it on the web when I could easily watch it on the app. You know. I hear you. Yeah. Um, the best, I agree with what you're saying. The one thing that I think is true, uh, it got better, and I took that as a really uh, neat sign. It really, really, it was just unwatchably sucky the first couple of days. <laughs> I mean, there's no, no, I mean, it was just, didn't exist. Man, I was just watching over the air TV. Uh, by the end, it was getting, it got passable. It, it, it really, I mean, I don't have, I can't prove it with data, but my observation leads me to believe that they made some midstream adjustments. You know, the, the streaming was done by Google, not by NBC, by, by YouTube. And I just, I, that's one thing that makes me optimistic. I think those guys are really in kind of internet mode, you know? They should right. Keep working, we're going to make some adjustments. They changed the user interface a little bit too. So they were, they were making adjustments as it went along. By the end, I was getting, uh, on my laptop, nothing else running on the laptop, uh, watchable performance. At 1080p, it would still be pretty noticeably jerky, but watchable. I mean, I, I was able to watch the final basketball game in high def on my laptop as long as I had nothing else running. And I've got about a, 
know, 15 megabits per second download speed here. Mm -hmm. um, so I came to the conclusion that the bottlenecks were in the network. Uh, Larry, to what extent do you think the change in performance might have been the result of fewer people online attempting to watch streams as time goes by? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I have no idea when, you know, usage loads, how they went up and down. Uh, it could have easily been that, uh, you know, I just kind of got in at the start. Everybody and their brother was trying to do it. It really sucked at first, and then it got better. Maybe it, what you're getting at is true, Mike. Maybe all that happened was, was it sucked so bad people quit using it. And, <laughs> and therefore, I was getting more bandwidth. But it really did. It became watchable. Uh, and I'd written it off, it, but just like Ant, the, uh, you know, part of what I was expect is I think do also on the on the laptop. It's running, it's doing Flash, and if you go to my blog post, I've got a bunch of performance, uh, you know, the, uh, the CPU performance curves, and uh, a lot of variance. I mean, it's just up and down, up and down, up and down. Uh, I think Flash is is not a you know, and, and that's going to disappear. So I think that part of it's the client, part of it's the bandwidth, part of it's what you say, the load that was on it. It's hard to, to parse it all out. But, you know, give it, think about the next Olympics. In next Olympics, my laptop's going to be so fast that even running flash, it wouldn't matter. I mean, it'll, it'll be just way faster than the current laptop I've got now. My laptop now is at least a year old, maybe two years old. That's if anybody's actually going to be using Flash at that time. No, that's what I say. Flash will be gone. <laughs> I'm going to be using HTML5, yeah. twice as much memory, and twice as fast of a processor. And, uh, well, I'd still have the same connection because I hate Time Warner and they hate me. Unless Google comes to Los Angeles after Kansas City. Google so, Fiber, baby. Google Fiber. I'm still waiting for files. That's last week's show. Let's not go there. But I'm, I'm convinced that, and also Google, the way I see it, there's two companies involved, Google and NBC. NBC's forte and what they know how to do is the, the production, the direction, how to have the cameras, how to have the commentators, uh, what the website uh, user interface is like. Um, and Google's thing was to build a really fast-ass network. And so I'm sure that Google will get, or whoever does it for them next year, will get way better at the network part, and I think NBC will get way better at the production. I think BBC outproduced them, uh, certainly on the website uh, this year. But those guys are going to learn. I think we're starting to see the birth of how TV for events is going to work in the future. There's going to be companies that do networking, companies that do production. Right. NBC, and they both learned a lot. I'm sure Google and NBC learned a lot. It's nice to have a niche, you know, and, and, and know what you're good at and, and know who you can work with to put out an optimal, optimal product, you know, especially you know, with something as big as the Olympics, you know. That's the other thing, man. This was a huge undertaking. If you want to see something better, it's too late now, but next year, watch NBC's coverage, which I also, the weeks before, watched a lot in the same mode as the Tour de France, where all NBC had to do was cover one event where every day it was the sort of same format, you know, a stage with, you know, it, it, it was a much easier thing for them to do. Plus, 
they didn't have to deal with the damn commercials. Uh, the commercials really got in the way of the streaming thing. Um, <laughs> no, they don't laugh at it. It was gross. I know. I, I, I remember watching the 400 meter prelims. Yeah. And, you know, for people that don't necessarily know about track and field, on that level, the 400 meters is run at the slowest about 48 seconds, okay, for the men. Yeah. How long is an average ad? Roughly mm, 20 seconds, 30 seconds? 50, a lot of them were 15s and 30s. You and know. I saw as many as six damn ads. <laughs> Middle of event, yeah. Well, I, I'm watching the 400 meter prelim. The guys take off in that first 100 meters, and they're going down the back stretch, and then bam, I'm hit with I don't know some candy bar commercial, and I'm like, in the middle of a 400 meter race, you're gonna stick an ad, you know? Yeah. And that stuff drives me wild. Yeah, I'm like, seriously, you 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 couldn't time that any better. You couldn't have waited until that particular heat was over with, or or. I just didn't get it. You know, I didn't know who to point the finger at on that one. Well, but that's that's the NBC side, and that's their lack of direction. Because a lot of those events, there was no commentator, and I think a machine was just deciding to plop the commercials in. Nobody was watching the screen. They need more people. They need somebody watching it, so you pop in the commercials after the event. <laughs> after the event, and yes. Need, and for many events, you need a commentator. I'm a uh, bicycle racing fan. Uh, yeah. You can't watch a track. You can watch a track race, but not a road race without commentary. So right. they got, they have to learn about how to promote, how to produce these things, and they will. Uh, I'll either either that, either, that, either that or uh, Google's going to come up with a really good Python script. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be slick. Larry, as you watched, or Ant, as you watched coverage originating from the BBC, did did they ladle their coverage with commentary, you know, sort of gratuitous commentary of the sort we have? Not so much. Not from what I saw. You know, there's two kinds of commentary. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Clarify. One is commentary where the a sports announcer is describing the action that's going on. The other kind of commentary is these, the human interest stories about uh, how the, where the athlete went to high school and stuff like that. Uh, they, the BBC had more of the former than the, than we did. Uh, they had they seemed to have a live announcer calling pretty much every event. The way it's supposed to be. Many of ours were just you know you just hear the crowd noise. Uh, no announcer at all. Yeah, I I like the commentator who is talking intelligently about what's happening in the field of play or with the rules of the game or that sort of thing. I, I you know if I want to know about the, the the high school the guy went to, I'll go back to you know to that kind of coverage in print at a later time. Or Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> To answer your question, that's another one of my complaints about the production of NBC, was they had too many events without commentators, the kind of commentators you're talking about. And as far, I didn't listen or watch as much BBC as I did NBC, but I didn't, I didn't stumble onto any BBC streams that didn't have a commentator. 
Uh, and again, talking about learning, this I'm not sure if this is true, but it seemed to me that the last week or so, NBC had more commentators, more events with commentators than they did at first. And not only that, uh, the commentators often seem to have British accents. So I jumped to the conclusion that they hired some guys. Uh, it wasn't that they were getting some feedback and they said, hey, we got to get more commentators on the events. But again, I may be... Uh, I don't have any confirmation that it was just when I dropped in on it, it seemed like the commentator thing picked up toward the end. Well, it, it sounds like the overall takeaway is that is that the companies like the BBC and Google and NBC are still really in the early stages of figuring out how to do this simultaneous streaming of, of 10, 12, 15 different events all going on sort of more or less simultaneously and, and making it, uh, delivering it digitally to the devices where we want to watch it. Yes, I completely agree. And I think that they're going to learn fast. I'm really optimistic. This, I put in one blog, but this is like, it was in the early days of radio when people had crystal sets. And we're, we're just learning how to do this stuff. And I guarantee the next four years from now, the Olympics, uh, I guarantee it. I hope, I believe that both the streaming guys, the network guys, and the production guys, the content guys, are going to have their acts much more together. Um, and they can steal from each other. Like the player, the BB, Matt, or, sorry about that. And did you watch the uh, BBC at all? I did. I watched a few minutes, a few um, events of it. Not, not that many, but what, like I said, what I liked about it is it seemed like they were very professional. This is your event. This is what's going on. This person just won. This person just lost in the yeah. story. You know, and I love that. You know, they gave me the meat and potatoes of it. If I wanted fluff, I was going to go to ESPN. They didn't want to give me that. You yeah. know, you know did that. you notice? Did you pay attention to the player, though? Their player was different, was different than NBC's player in that like with the NBC player, you'd be watching, and all of a sudden, maybe some statistics or standings would pop up on the screen. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. With the BBC thing, down in that lower right, you had control of that. Right. You say, oh, hey, I want to see uh, how, what's, how, how many points has Carmelo Anthony scored in this game so far. Click, click, click. And it was it was intuitive. It was very intuitive. I do remember seeing that. Yeah, so BBC also, I give them kudos they put the control of the thing more in the hands of the user. In other words, they were building an internet app. The NBC guys were still building a TV watching app. But the NBC guys, they're going to learn, man. Uh, it's going to be better in four years or even in two years. I, I so, so, Ant and, and Larry, you know, you, you think about this awesome use of technology and you think about the Olympics that kind of comes around once every four years or once every two years with the winter things. Where else is this kind of technology going to transform uh, real-time uh, sharing of, uh, of massive events like this? How about rock concerts, comedy shows, uh, you know, sporting events, uh, satellite launches, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know, all kinds of stuff, don't so you So any kind of thing, uh, what's, what's sort of unclear is I mean, the unique thing about the Olympics, it seems to me, is you have 
maybe in the course of a day, a dozen different major events going on around multiple venues. I think nothing is as hard as the Olympics. Nothing I can think of. You know. That's a, that is, it's totally tough. It's total. It's organized chaos at the Olympics. That's that's the thing with them. Like if you watch the Tour de France, it was they did a way better job, but it was a way easier job to do. You know. Right. You just lost my. You know, I want to. Um, you wanna, uh, go ahead, my, go ahead, Larry. I'll just throw in one more thing to what he said to think about. Okay, if, to me it seems there's the networking guys, which in this case was Google, uh, YouTube. There's the production guys, which in this case was NBC. But there's a third option, is do you really need, if NBC gets really good at production, then you'll hire them to produce your event. But what if they're not so good at production? What does it take the National Football League to say, well, we'll do the production ourselves, or the NBA? And the, the biggest example I can think of that so far is that guy, that comedian Louis C.K. Did you guys pay attention to that? Yeah, he did really well with that, too. With yeah, he said, hey, that. I don't need Sony to do the production. I can learn to do it myself. And he cut out that. You still need the network guy, but I think so, or NBC in this case is vulnerable. They, right. they have to do a better job for the Olympic Committee than the Olympic Committee could do for themselves or by hiring somebody else. And so, Louis C.K. made a couple bucks off of that, right? Louis C.K. is the guy that's really figured that out. If for a single rock con or a single comedy concert, it turns out he doesn't need Sony. Uh, he can make, like you say, big bucks, and not only make big bucks, he made a lot. Of, he made more money than he would have with Sony. And instead of costing thirty bucks or whatever a DVD cost, he sold them for five. So he made his fans happier too. Exactly. So that's, I think Google or the, the networking guys, we need them. But I think NBC has to, to really learn fast and stay on top of the game because the IOC may not to, may decide they don't need them next when the contract is up. This is true, my man. This is true. Yeah, well, let's, uh, let's move on here. I um, want to move on now to my post that I made today over on a new domain, if you don't mind. Uh, it's regarding DLNA. Now, I'm sure a lot of people have no idea what DLNA is, and I'm sorry for the background noise, but my um, air conditioner just kicked on here in Chateau Ghetto, so I'll try to speak clearly. <laughs> but um, DLNA is a protocol for Digital Life, um, Digital Living Network Alliance. Basically, it allows you to tie all of your internal multimedia whether it's your videos, pictures uh, uh, music and everything that you have on your home computer or even on your cell phone uh, or even on like a Playstation console or, or Xbox it allows all of that media to be shared and viewed all at the same time without having to, to jump through a bunch of Hoops. It's just a natural protocol simply by just getting on your own Wi-Fi. So this weekend, I was dinking around with my Google TV, and most of you folks know that I love music, and I love Spotify service. Love it. The problem is I can't listen to Spotify unless I'm sitting at a computer 
or unless I'm listening to it on my mobile phone. I got a fairly decent home theater system here, and there's times when I, I don't necessarily want to listen to my music that's in the Google Cloud. I want to listen to some of the some of the tracks that Spotify has to offer. So it was sort of bugging me because I couldn't find a hack to download an app to put on the Google TV and let it play. But um, so I reached out on Google Plus and the Google TV community, they, they came back within within minutes of try this, try this, maybe this will work, maybe that'll work. And I came across this um, server system called uh, Jamcast. And I ended up installing it on my computer and it links up with with Spotify as long as I have it playing. And then the Google TV sees it as a, a sound card. I believe that's what it was called, a virtual sound card. I clicked on it on the Google TV and then voila, I had my Spotify music playing through my house. And it was just so easy to do. The only hard thing I had on it was I have to do this stuff on a virtual machine and this is the technical part to show y'all. I had to do this on a virtual machine virtual machine and change IP addresses and so forth. But outside of that, man, this was a piece of cake. And then I grabbed my little tablet. So my tablet is now a remote for the Google TV and a remote for my um my multimedia and, and music. It's just so smooth and so seamless. You have no idea how happy that made me this weekend to be able to just jam some old school music that I don't necessarily have on my computer, you know. Cool, man. And, and I, I have to agree with you. I love Spotify. I am wild about the Spotify service. It's so all, much stuff out there, man, it, 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 I forgot music. about. <laughs> all that music and, and new music coming out all the time. And you know ways to discover, you know, to find music that uh, you might not have found otherwise. I've subscribed to a couple of your playlists that you've published, mm -hmm. so so I can listen to playlists constructed by Ant Pruitt. Uh, you know that are that are shaped around moods. You know, one for a, a work mood and one for a mellow mood, and so mm -hmm. on. And I recently found something similar. I found that Spotify will broadcast through a um, sling, a, a Logitech Slingbox server. Ooh. So all of you Logitech Slingbox owners out there, there's a Slingbox supports a little Spotify application. You go on the the Slingbox um, website, you install, quote unquote, install this application, mm -hmm. and that now you've got access to your Spotify on any uh, uh, Slingbox device that uh, you have at home. So, so you can try that as well. You know, and originally I was using Plex Media Server because um, mm -hmm. I've been I've been a a fan of them for at least a year now. And Plex used to have a plugin that would allow you to connect to Spotify, but I could never get the daggum thing to work. I don't know if it was a Linux issue versus a Windows issue. I don't know if it was the Logitech review because we know as a Google TV that is pretty much dead. Um, I, I, I don't know, but I could never get that daggum thing to work. And it would frustrate me to see that little icon 
on my television set and I click on it and then it was just dead. <laughs> you know? I, I hear you. <laughs> you know, but this solution here, I want to, I want to thank the Google TV friends page on Google plus and Chris Hollis. They pointed me in this direction to Jamcast, and man, it, it's, oh, it's been great just pumping up my old school tracks over there and scaring the neighbors here and here in the apartment with all of this old music, you know. <laughs> Turn it up a little, and I want to hear it here in California. <laughs> I could do it. I could do it. But yeah, if you folks have DLNA, man, DLNA is very, very useful, and it is so easy to use. I can remember... When I first got my Droid X, um, it had an app on there for DLNA, and I already knew what it was, but I just clicked on the app, and the first thing it did was says, okay, all right, what Wi-Fi network are you on? And, of course, my home Wi-Fi network, and it just scanned. All right, well, this Wi-Fi network has this song on it. It has this folder with songs. It has this folder with pictures. It has this folder with videos. And if you want to see them, just click here, and you can look at all of this stuff on your phone. You know, and, and DLNA works with all kinds of things. It works with Blu-ray players. It works with the gaming consoles. I, I'm a PlayStation 3 guy, and... I've been able to look at uh, the TV shows that I would download or, the, or listen to my music on my PlayStation 3 before I had the Google, t Google TV and still be able to get it going through the surround time and all. You know, it's just, and it was all because of that protocol. DLNA and UPnP is what it's called. You know, for those that are not as techie watching this show, I'll have this in our show notes to try to explain it in layman's terms for you. Hey, I... <laughs> I got another tip, another DLNA tip for you, which is Windows Media Player. Yes! It is a DNLA compliant uh, player. So anything you can play through Windows Media Player can be, in effect, um, broadcast to any DLNA receiver, like your home stereo system that you have in the house. You know, and see, I think that became standard in Windows 7, right? Because Seven. before, you had to have Windows Media Center, I think that's what it was, that version of XP and Vista. Maybe, maybe, yeah. But I, I think when Windows 7 came out, it came as standard because um, there's a guy on another show that I watched, Robert Heron. He was a big fan of it, and I tried it out here. And just like you said, it, it was, bam, it was there. As soon as it was fired up. Bam! Everything saw it, you know. Yeah, it's, me, it's great technology. Let me ask you guys a question: Is this a way to get a like Google TV has a web browser in it, but it's blocked from a lot of places, right? <laughs> Some, yes. <laughs> well, wait, it's not blocked from a few places, right? <laughs> there you go. Yes. Okay. Is this a way to get around that? It's not using the browser at all. It's using, I have to use, I have the option of three different applications on the Google TV to get this to work. Yeah, yeah. And um, I went with uh, Avia because it ended up being the more um, smooth option. It didn't have as much latency with it. Um, so yeah, and it, and the same thing goes for with uh, the the Play On app that I was telling you about earlier that allows me to watch certain TV shows and even access Hulu 
on a Google TV because if you on a if you're on a Google TV and you go to the Hulu website, Hulu just laughs at you. You know, <laughs> they're like, no, that's not going to happen on the device you're on. But if you set up a server that has play on on it and install the Hulu plugin for it, put in your credentials. Boy, I'm getting really technical here. Put in your credentials, pipe it over to your DLNA compliant device. Bam, I'm watching ALF. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> How sweet is that? <laughs> You know, you guys are talking about getting Spotify, but boy, I uh, that idea of being able to get—that's why I got a Google TV was because I was going to be able to see anything off the web, and then I turned out I was wrong. Yeah, but and that's just because I, Google has a lot of haters. I mean, that's the, the the easiest way to put it. Google has a lot of haters out there, just as Apple has haters too. You know. Yeah, and, but you got, it sounds like this is a total workaround for it. Yeah, it, it it worked, man. It took me maybe forty five minutes to an hour to get it all figured out, but man, it was it was worth it. It was I could not wait to share this with people. Couldn't wait. Love it. All right, and don't just talk about this. Get get this whole story up. I know you did one post on A and D, right? Yes, I did. It's out on a new right. domain. Keep going. Keep going for us. Uh, <laughs> I shall keep hacking, my man. You're, I shall keep hacking. You're on a roll, brother. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah, Mike, you did, a, you did a, a piece today, and I got to tell you, you're talking about Windows 8 and me firsthand. I haven't given Windows 8 a, a fair shake just yet, but according to your article that you got over on Groovy Post, you you're ready, brother. You got anything you'd like to share about that? Oh, I've got, yeah. I mean, how many hours do you have? Let's hear it. <laughs> Here's my proposition. Windows 8 is a game changer for even even if you ignore the Metro interface, and yes, I'm going to call it Metro. I don't care. And, and um, don't use it at all, and instead only use their desktop navigating in and out of the start menu when you need to to access uh, control panel type stuff. Mm -hmm. Even then it's it's a game changer. Uh, first it's got a greatly improved performance. There are I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cite these numbers but there are all kinds of performance statistics on the web now that you can find comparing Windows 8 and Windows 7 the faster operating system. Storage spaces. So we've now got an operating system that will recognize my big three terabyte drives as one volume instead of insisting I break them into multiple volumes. Mm -hmm. uh, it will also pool multiple disk drives into one logical disk drive. So if I have maybe let's say three physical disk drives in a box, I can refer to all of those collectively as drive C. And with a simple uh, control panel type uh, dialog box, I can, I can configure that pool of three disk drives, any one of a number of different ways to provide for file um, duplication. So that a so that a single much like a RAID system, so a single file is is stored multiple times on different physical devices. Uh, 
And then you've got file history. File history is actually a feature of Windows that's been around for a while, but it is exposed better in Windows 8 so that much as with other operating systems, you can easily roll back to an earlier version of a file on your system. Uh, you know, the, what I did in today's file on GroovyPost is just go through, oh, some of the security improvements that have been made, some of the tweaks to the operating system, the desktop interface to the oper operating system. It's a better operating system. And here's the punchline, guys. Microsoft is selling this for $39.99. I mean, it's installing it is, an, is almost a no-brainer, even if you never touch Metro apps. Well, let me ask you this. With it being $39.99, isn't that part of an upgrade to Windows 7? What about the folks that don't have Windows 7? No, that's, that's actually from any version of Windows. I mean, I, I think it goes back to X, any version of XP or later. So if you're at home running Windows ME, you were out of luck. <laughs> you're out of luck. You were out of luck before this, brother. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> But whether you're running XP, Vista, or Windows 7, you can upgrade for $39.99. Well, Mike, you, you were talking about some of the things you like, but, I, but let me ask you about just browsing because we got to think Windows 8 is going to be put into the hands of a lot of just regular consumers. It's not going to be in, in a bunch of geeks' hands. It's going to be in regular consumer hands. Right. Now, I'm pretty sure seven out of ten of those folks are just going to be on there to check out Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus and whatever. Sure. So yeah. they're going to be going to IE9. What are your thoughts on IE9 in Windows 8? Because right now, when I look at IE9 on Windows 7, I want to gag half the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what? I'm not an IE user, so I got my I got. Um, I got uh, Windows 8 up, and I immediately installed Chrome. And oh, you're going to have your Windows 8 license revoked tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, so be it, you know. Uh, Bill Gates is going to come take it away from me. <laughs> now, the problem is I'm not sure the typical end user wants to cope with dealing with uh, Chrome instead of IE. Although IE's market share is growing. So I, I guess I'd say, let's take my wife, Judith, as, you know, she's still an IE user and she wants the least possible complication in her life with the computer. And she'd probably be fine browsing Facebook on IE9. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask. For the person you're talking about that just wants to do Facebook and Gmail, what what's the big problem with IE9? I have never looked at. I use Chrome too, so <laughs> no. Seriously, what's no? What's, it probably wouldn't be an issue with just getting to a social network because those those three big sites they really don't use anything um, complicated in the background. It's not a lot of flash stuff going on or or other little. ActiveX controls going on in the background is pretty straightforward. So I can see why they can 
they can say that browser is fine. And I guess that's why you're now seeing the little ads for Internet Explorer 9 here recently, especially during the Olympics. I saw a ton of IE9 uh, ads going up talking about how fast it is and this and that. And again, the whole time I was gagging each time I saw those commercials, you know. IE9, I, I mean, I don't use it, so I can't really speak knowledgeably, but Microsoft claims that it is the most HTML5 compliant browser on the market, and Microsoft claims it's also the fastest. The knock on IE9 is it doesn't support add-ins or or extensions. Uh-huh. So, so you in going to IE9, you got to be willing to give up all the extensions you've grown to love and depend on in Chrome or Firefox or whatever. Okay, so if they're denying extensions in IE9, I guess that's a way of them keeping their performance boosted up pretty high because, you know, yeah. in Firefox, if you have a, about four or five extensions in there, you're already killing Firefox and killing yeah. the rest of your system, too. You know, is that is yeah. that a way, is that a, a smoke and mirrors way for Microsoft to say, hey, we're faster than everybody else. You can't necessarily do an IRC chat in here, but we're still going to be fast. You know, Ant, it, it may be that, but I think it's a little something different that Microsoft is saying that browser extensions are inherently insecure. That is, there are inherently ways to inject um, stuff you don't want into your OS. And so I think their posture is we're making a secure operating system that is not going to get penetrated and that means we're not going to allow you to install extensions in our browser. You know what I you could imagine them doing? Is saying, you can't unless you get them through the Microsoft Store. Maybe yes. Yeah. Yes. So that, that would gives that, them a filter, right? Through the Apple thing. Yeah, that, that wouldn't surprise me. You know, kind of screen them through, uh, through the, the future Microsoft Extension Store. Well, Larry, what do you think of Windows 8? You you spent any significant amount of time on it? The only, uh, not really. What I I went to the original build conference where they rolled it out, and after that, I installed the developer version. Uh huh. And I fiddled around with it for a while, and then I that's it. I haven't even upgraded from the that original distribution they did. Right. So no, but I've heard. Um, I've heard the kinds of things Mike, is, Mike is saying, and what he's saying is true for forty bucks. And it's also it's like, again, I've just heard this on other podcasts and stuff that it's it's like you don't have to do a clean install; you just download it, and, and it's a real smooth upgrade, so you don't have to reinstall all your apps and so forth. So why not? It does sort of sound to me like a no-brainer too. Well, I appreciate Mike pointing that out to me because I didn't know that it was just $40 flat out regardless of what version of Windows you had, well, up to XP, that is, Legacy. Um, so, yeah, it is sort of a no-brainer. $40 for an OS, that's, that's a good deal. Not only, it's also a painless upgrade from right. what I understand, from what I heard. I got to throw in one. I have to get my dig in an Apple. Get so, it. My wife's got... Uh, Apple. I'm sitting in front of her Apple right now, uh, which you know, like I said one night, where's Control Alt Delete? Uh, <laughs> I mean, 
But okay, so she, we, we get this, you know, I've been paying some attention. All of a sudden I get a message from Chrome says, oh, damn, we're not going to be able to give you any more upgrades because you don't have the latest operating system. So I said, okay, I know a new operating system just came out. And I figured, I'll get the new operating system. Why not? All right. Oh, you can't because I didn't get the one before. So in order, I can't just do it and to install the one before, I can't just do it across the net like Microsoft would do. Ah. I have to use the computer for the rest of us and I guess we'll get a CD someplace and go through a whole install and then a whole second install. Uh, whereas Microsoft, the guys that are so hard to use seem to be able to say, oh yeah, you got Windows XP, no sweat, just here's the website, dude, 40 bucks. You know, this all the idea that Apple is such a dream is Here it comes, folks. I hope so. Blame the shit out of me, but I am not convinced. The Emperor has no clothes. You know, Larry, that, that, it's that, it's that Apple attitude that has bugged me for years now. It rubs me the wrong way. They were telling the truth in 1984, but I hate to tell you guys, it's 2000 and something. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, so I'm, I'm going to dig my, into it. When, when, when I decide to, to take my skirt off and put on a pair of pants, I'm going to dig into Windows 8, maybe one of these weekends. Um, all I have is the, the Windows 8 preview, consumer preview. Yeah, from, several, from a couple of months ago, but even still, I I think I only ran it on a virtual machine. I may make a third partition and and put it on there and just play around with it a little more, you know, because Mike hey. loves it. I, I guess I can trust Mike, right? Mike, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Mike, let, let me ask you one question: Would there be any advantage to somebody uh, who is about to get a new PC waiting to get one that was a delivered with Windows 8 as opposed to doing an upgrade. Are yeah, there could be. I mean, hardware dependencies that other you, than I guess the touch screen. You, you know, what I've obviously the touch screen is is the big item. Uh, what I've heard generally is that most device drivers are working just fine without changes, but uh, a a good hardware manufacturer is going to take their device drivers and fine-tune them for Windows 8, and they probably are not going to have that done for a few weeks yet, because they just got the final code. They're going to fine-tune their tuners, then they're going to, uh, their drivers, and then they're going to put them out for up automatic update services. So yeah, there could be an advantage to waiting a little while. Yeah, I've got an old scanner that they don't even have. Nobody's got 64-bit drivers for it, which really sucks. Now, that said, you know, I'm running Windows 8 now on both a, uh, what is it, Acer laptop and a Dell desktop. And I'm not having any driver, I'm not having any problems, period, with either of those devices. Gotcha. Do you pay any attention to Metro Mode or... I'm, I'm starting to think we should call it iPhone mode. <laughs> yeah. You know, Metro was not the focus of my post today. But, yeah, yeah, there are some interesting apps out there, and I'm going to have some fun 
exploring them and figuring out which work for me and which don't. And, you uh, know, Mike, I got to give you credit on that. Reading your reading your posts over on Groovy Post, um, the fact that you didn't focus on the Metro UI, you know, because a lot of the tech writers out there today are are, are pointing at that Metro UI and how it's going to be sort of a kludge for people to get used to. Yeah, and yeah. Even myself, you know, when I played around with it, I was like, man, just move this crap out of the way. Where is my, <laughs> where is my desktop with my taskbar and, and, and all of that? But I, I love the fact that you really got deep down into it. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that about the, the, the disk drive volumes. I didn't know that, you know, and it's a lot of people that probably didn't. You know, I thought you did a really good job on that, bro. Thank you. I appreciate that. The other thing that will blow you away when you get to it is the boot up time. And shutdown times are so much faster than Windows 7. Oh, I really need to install that thing because I'm telling you, every single day when I leave the office, you know, yeah. granted, on Enterprise, we're running XP because it just works for Enterprise, period. And every day when I go to shutdown, I pretty much just get up, pack my bags, and wait on the daggum laptop to shut down. Sometimes I just throw it in the bag and let it shut down on my way to the parking lot. There's no reason for a machine to take that long to shut down. You know yeah. what I mean? To sleep or something. <laughs> no, seriously. Why don't you do sleep mode instead of shutting? Well, well, actually, Larry, that's the secret behind the Microsoft shutdown. Is they have found a way that when you shut down Windows 8, it's actually going into a hibernation mode that runs on a very, very, very low power. Oh, so it's still drawing, a, you know, a, a tiny bit of power, but it's in hibernation mode. So it's the what what we think of as shutdown and startup is actually coming in and out of hibernation. And you ask why I didn't do that, Larry? Because I have tried just hibernating or sleep mode on it. Um, when I take it back to the office, I have drives mapped to the network. And those map drives are never there unless I boot up. And, yeah. it, and it, that may be an Active Directory thing, but I got sick of remapping drives every morning when I got there as part of my daily routine when I'd much rather be getting a cup of coffee. You know, you're a, it's an interesting thing. Would your company as an enterprise be moved by what Mike just said, or are you going to just stick with what you got? Right now, we're going to roll out with, um, with uh, Windows 7. Uh, we most of us are still on XP, but seven is is right right there for us to grab. Um, we're still sort of testing it with certain users. Um, we want it to be as simple as possible, you know. But fortunately, Windows seven it doesn't require a lot of hardware, you know. It doesn't require a lot of resources, you know. Um, so it, it's looking like that's going to be the way we end up end up going. I don't see Windows eight being in our company. Uh, it's just, I, I just don't see it. I don't think it's a good return on investment on it just yet anyway. Gotcha. Not for what we do anyway, you know? Yeah. The stuff Mike just said doesn't, doesn't justify it. Yeah. Gotcha. And yeah, then, don't know, get me wrong, I'll play with it at home here eventually, but nah, I, I don't work in, I work in an office setting too, and most... I, if if I were responsible for that at the office, I wouldn't want to go through the overhead of training my users to go in and out of 
the Metro start menu instead of using the start or you know, <laughs> you know I really wouldn't want to deal with that either considering I actually answered the phone at work today for a call Ooh. and, <laughs> and the, 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 the user says uh, I just got in my, no she says my screen says my new password has been emailed to me should I check my email <laughs> so that that user probably does not need Windows 8 at this time, you know. So. Right. <laughs> Mike, but let me just ask you: Couldn't you give in an enterprise or something? Let's say somebody needs to use Excel and Word or whatever three applications. Can't those just be tiles in the Metro thing, and and they just the Metro comes up and they click on the tile and go do it? No. Yes. How, why is that a training problem? How is, it's like having the start button, except it's there. You know, I, I, yeah, I th you and I would get it immediately, and we would understand, yeah, that's, that's real simple. I just, this Excel is this little, is this little tile over here. Um, but Ant will tell you, man, there, there are people, that kind of change would drive some people Crazy. <laughs> now, I hate to say it, but people are idiots, man. <laughs> you're, you're talking truth, brother. Now, Larry, I think what's going to happen is that Microsoft is going to get this that this uh, Metro operating system on home computers, and over the next year or 18 months, we're all going to get used to seeing that Metro start screen. And we're going to come to come to like it and recognize it, and it's going to find it's going to work its way into the office place. I hear right. you. You know where else you're going to see it is on the web. Go ahead, just to, for thirty yeah. seconds. You go back to the Olympics. In the middle of the deal, the, they changed their street. The NBC changed their website to a uh, a total metro, no, a, an iPhone user interface. If you go to it now, it looks just like, you know, it's little square tiles. Um, so the websites are going to all go that way, too. And, and so you're right. And telephones, too, if people buy the Windows 8 phone. So. I don't know that Metro is going to be a success, but, you know, the, the news is uh, the, the first Windows 8 phones are going to come out sometime this fall. October 21st, we're going to have Metro-style Surface tablets and tablets from a bunch of other manufacturers. Mm -hmm. Microsoft is also going to be aggressively ramping up the sales through their store of videos, music, and and uh, movies. So, you know, there's a Microsoft's going to wind up spending a boatload of marketing money over the next six months to a year on on all this stuff. I wish him luck, man. More competition, the better. Better for us. Yeah. This is true. Well, let's um let's move on to uh, one more of Larry's stories. Um, I can't necessarily pronounce this. Akemi. Oh, Akamai is the other. Akamai issued their quarterly state of internet report today. Yeah, they they. Uh, yeah. Okay. I don't know. If, yeah, we can do this. It's kind of a quick one, but. Akamai, is the, they're one of these content distribution networks. They've got uh, distributed servers all over the place, and, and therefore, you know, stuff, uh, 
people like, uh, you know, big people that distribute a lot of content cache their stuff on Akamai servers around the world so that to cut down on latency time. Mm-hmm. And they, they are, they've been around since the early days of the internet. They kind of came out of UC Berkeley. Uh, so they're a big company, very much invested in internet art, in infrastructure. And they put out a quarterly report. They're, if you guys like this kind of stuff, I kind of do. Um, they put out every quarter report on the state of the internet. And I, I did a post, uh, well, I guess it, it's, we should probably, it almost be worth bringing these things on the show, but it's not. Like, I just took a couple of the facts and, and graphs out of their, uh, Report that came out today. Somebody um, going for it? I'm going to try to share the screen oh, now so our viewers yeah, can see. You can do it, yeah. So far. There he is. There he is. <laughs> we will not be sharing that screen. How about uh, that? We don't, want to, we don't want to see that anyhow. You know, I, I don't remember. Anyhow, I can just describe it. Uh, the, the two I pulled out were uh, just caught my eye. One was um, to uh, both globally and, and then they do it nation by nation to say uh, what's the average connection speed. And it turns out that it's, if I'm doing this from memory, like 2.6 megabits per second. Not too shabby. Um, and the other one that, that, this is kind of old news, but it just marches on. In uh, 2009, the amount of uh, mobile traffic devoted to data passed the amount for voice. And now it's just taken off and voice is just staying really flat. So the mobile world is totally, uh, you know, it's not news, but the trend toward uh, data, mobile data, and is, uh, is growing like crazy. But at any rate, if, if people are interested in that kind of thing, they, they look at things like security around the world. They look at things like uh, number of IP addresses issued all around the world, the bandwidth all around the world, uh, just a, a good global overview of the Internet. And then they break it down by, by countries and regions if you want to kind of drill down. So if you like that kind of thing, it's a really fun uh, report to look at. That's Larry, I, I'm an old data hound myself. It's a good read. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'm, in my background, I've been into that stuff. Uh, when the Internet was really just getting started, I spent, well, I still kind of do it a little bit, but I, I really, spe- uh, to some extent, specialized in that kind of thing for about five or ten years. Uh, so I've been writing that kind of stuff since the early 90s. And, uh, yeah, I love it. You know, another one I, in that post, I also referred to another similar thing, which is um, on physical infrastructure, telegeography, and there's a, a link to it in that the link on our show notes. Uh, telegeography does, I don't know how often they update it. They, I think they told me they update it continuously, but they do an online map of, uh, interactive map of all the undersea cables in the world. And that's just a trip, too. I mean, that's the nervous system of the earth. You know, and you just see it there. That stuff is fascinating. Yeah, if this is fascinating, follow the link in the show notes, and, and it'll take you both to the Akamai thing and to the telegeography uh, undersea cable thing. And, yep. 
Yeah, I will a- definitely include it in there. This is this is good stuff, and you were right. You you mentioned it, it was at an average of two point six megabits per second. Yeah, that's not too shabby, man. No, I, it's not. It's, when, until I finally kicked Verizon out, I was way under that here in West Los Angeles. <laughs> that's all another rant. The United States is really screwed by our our dear internet service providers. But yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get on the ISPs in the next episode of yeah. Yes. How about that? <laughs> just pray for Google not to do evil and form up. Just love what happens in Kansas City and come next to LA. Yeah. No, no, San Francisco. San no, no, LA, LA. Google, come here. West LA. Like Verizon, I waited for about two years for files to show up. There's billboards all over LA. Get files, files rocks. Files never came to my neighborhood, and it never will. They're putting all their money into wireless now. They they made this deal. Time Warner can have the cables, and they're going to do the wireless. I hate those people. <laughs> they're a bunch of mona- monopolistic bastards. That's, that's all it is. Monopoly. Words. I think we're about at the end of our, our time here for the show. Would you guys like to um, promote anything that you're working on currently? Larry? Uh, I'm gonna, you know what I'm going to do is, if you go to my, again, it's in the show notes, I've been doing a bunch of these blog posts on the coverage of the Olympics and before that the coverage of the uh, Tour de France. And I will, I'm going to, the one thing I still have to do is write some kind of an overview that uh, sort of at least comes to some conclusions. But if you're interested in that stuff, there's a ton of it. I just follow the link. If you're a data miner, follow Larry's links. There you go. There you go. <laughs> what about you, Mr. Rothman? I'm writing for uh, Groovy po- uh, GroovyPost.com, and I'm going to be I'm going to be exploring uh, Metro apps next, oh. uh, and writing up some of my favorites. Uh, follow me on GroovyPost.com, and I'm Mike Rothman on Google+. All right. Well, all right, folks, we um, appreciate you guys coming out and, and checking out yet another Tech Show, Episode 21. Um, we're going to do this again next Wednesday at about the same time. Uh, I, I want to say it's about 8 o'clock Pacific Time, 11 o'clock. Uh, Eastern Time, PM that is. Uh, I'm Ant Pruitt. You can check me out on Google Plus at Ant Pruitt or I Have No Life as it says there in my lower third <laughs> over on Twitter. Uh, I also do a little bit of writing on um, the new domain.net. Again, just go over there and check us out. We got a lot of good technical, geeky science stuff on there. and, and it, it's, it's a good mix of, of different um, content on there and it's not all just just tech talk but uh, we appreciate you guys coming out be sure to follow us on Google Plus and Twitter and subscribe to us in iTunes as well as give us a rating be gentle with me on this episode of trying to fill in for the super producer Mr. Matt Lee um, so when you leave your comments on there you know don't just just be gentle okay but uh, we appreciate you guys coming out and um, check us out next week take care you did great. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Appreciate it. A- See you, Ant folks. Ant is the star. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> See you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye.